Welcome to the Parent Guide to GCC podcast episode number 20. Today, as part of our difficult but important conversation series, we are talking to Kim Ward about the tricky subject of bereavement. This was originally broadcast as a live StreamYard event. Hi guys, we have uh, gone uh, ever so slightly early because, you know, we're organised today, so we thought we might as well. Um, so today's topic for our difficult but important conversations to have with your child is bereavement and we have with us Kim Ward. Hi Kim. Hey guys, thanks so much for having me. So do you want to just introduce yourself, just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and why you do it? Absolutely, so as you said my name is Kim Ward. I am a certified life and business coach but I have a trauma relief specialty as kind of my area of focus. And I'm also a certified NLP practitioner, which is neuro-linguistic programming. Um, that, for me, is just really kind of taking my personal mess and turning it into a message. So I can go out there and help those who have been through trauma for many, many uh, factors. More importantly, suicide and loss. Um, I'm also the CEO of a nonprofit organization called Katie's Mission. And our goal is to really educate people about mental health related issues and end the stigma around suicide, around loss, and really kind of fill a very needed gap. Absolutely. So <clears throat> the, the whole thing, the, the idea behind doing this is with current circumstances as they are, there aren't going to be many of us that aren't affected in some way by bereavement, whether that's directly as a family member, whether it's for your children with someone that they know at school or a member of their family. We're all, I think, going to end up touched by this in some way before all of this hopefully ends. Touching a little bit of wood there. Um, you know, it's about how we best support our children and ourselves through through any of this in terms of coping with with the feelings the, the loss the grief because everybody's a little bit different so where should we kind of start thinking about this stuff i know it's it's that's a ridiculously big question and a terrible one but with our um it's having that initial conversation um i think so You're it's so right yeah You're so right well, Emily, I think that's a fantastic question. And we as parents tend to put a lot of pressure on ourselves to have all the answers, right? We want to protect our children. We as as women, as fathers, as you know, mothers, we're all natural nurturers. So that is our knee-jerk reaction to want to shield and protect. And I will be completely honest, that's that's really the wrong way to look at it. It does start with a conversation. And we don't have to have a PhD to ask a question as, how are you? Are you okay? And that's really where the ending the stigma piece begins. It's just opening yourself up to let somebody know, I'm here to support you. I'm here to openly and actively listen and just open that communication. Because most people want to be heard, not necessarily have their feelings swept under a rug or, or avoided. As much as we want to avoid the pain of the loss, of the suffering, and we want to clam up, it's really, really helpful to be able to talk. And the more we can talk it out, the less likely we are to have 
you know, struggles in, in issues of our own, right? We might find our anxiety is increasing. We might find we're subjective to depression. Um, but when we open those lines of communication, we're, we're allowing ourselves to kind of breathe freely. Sorry, go on. Uh, I mean, I know every child is obviously different. Is there a, a, a kind of typical pattern that a child would follow following a bereavement? Every age group, believe it or not, has different tendencies. So we want to shield. Like I said, if we have a toddler age child, you know, somewhere between the ages of three to five, they understand, you know, they understand not necessarily what happened, but they understand that mommy was here or or the family member or friend was here and now they're gone so they may start to ask more questions they may want to look and see what's going on um, middle-aged or even high school aged children may actually want to spend time over at the the individual's home or around their surroundings around the materialistic items and so there's different patterns that can be recognized by age group Social media is a huge part of that, um, especially where our children are using social media younger ages and obviously for more extended periods of time. So they will be exposed to um, other people's comments, other people's feelings, um, portrayals of how I feel, right? Um, so it's really important to kind of watch their behavior and make sure that they're not isolating too much if they want to spend time at a friend's house, if it was a friend or like you said, Emily, maybe a school friend, um, as long as they're welcomed and, they're, and their safety is always first, that's okay. That's okay to give them the space that they need to work through because we all do grieve very, very differently. So it's, it's hard to look for, but you know your child, you know um, what your child will do on the norm. And if they're experiencing dreams, um, you know, they're, they're isolating themselves. Obviously, that's, that's valid reason for an open conversation. Yeah, and I think um, part of what I was thinking when we were, you were talking about the, the open conversation before is I know certainly my tendency is I want to almost validate the way they're feeling. And I want to say, yeah, I understand exactly what you mean. I felt like that when... But I know that's probably not the most helpful approach, is it? It's about listening and just letting them have their feelings, Absolutely. regardless of whether you get it or not. Is that the right sort of approach? Absolutely. You know, we, again, our knee-jerk reaction is to want to kind of feel that the awkwardness. It can feel awkward having that conversation. And you're kind of like, gosh, I've got to feel the silence or I've got to feel the space and I want to be that protector and have the right words to say where validation is, is critical. Yes, you're allowed to feel that way and you're really more validating the permission, the fact that they can feel a certain way versus really feeling like you have to have the answers um, because they are going to go through their own process the same way you and I would. And I'll be completely honest with you. When my son was eight years old, I lost my sister, who was 22, uh, to suicide. And at that time, I truly didn't know what I know now. And I really did everything that I thought a mother should do and protect him. So I told him, Auntie Katie is, is very, very sick. Mommy's going to fly down and go visit with her. 
all the while I knew she was deceased, I didn't want to tell him the truth. And that was the worst thing I could have done because I was taking my feelings, my emotions and how I thought it should be. And I really transposed them onto him without his permission. And as an eight-year-old child, yes, that seems very, very young that they can understand and grieve, but they do. And it was harder. I had to come clean and tell him, you know, she's passed away and, and I was trying to protect you. But at that time where you're imposing your thoughts and your feelings and your beliefs, you're kind of robbing them from their ability to process and grieve appropriately. So really, really two ears, one mouth, and just listen and let them speak freely. And by doing that, you're able to kind of catch any, any red flags, you know, as well, just to make sure that they're okay, that they're safe, and you're listening. So you said he was eight at the time. Yeah. Is there a, an age where they're probably too young to fully understand, so therefore you have to, I don't know, not fudge the message, but um, be a bit economical with the truth? Sure, sure. So all the research that, that I've done and all the trainings I've gone through, um, generally we kind of start talking about the age of three when it comes to grief and loss and bereavement. And it, it is absolutely okay to still have the conversation, but it's obviously going to be a little bit nicer, right? So if the person who's, who's in heaven, if the child, you know, if that's your belief, it's okay to say, Auntie Katie, is in heaven, you know, she's not here anymore. And they don't understand or really associate death, right? And the fact that maybe it's suicide related, maybe it's not suicide related. They just understand that person was here and now they're not. So by continuing to talk about your loved one, um, bring up memories, have those warm feelings and, and have the conversation, they understand this is okay. And I can feel sad and it's okay to feel sad. So, you know, generally around the age of three is those conversations can really take place. Um, it's just a different format, more or less. And I was uh, reading something yesterday, I think. Um, we've, we've obviously, uh, across this period of coronavirus, but specifically as we record this week, there have been a couple of celebrity deaths. And it hits people quite hard. We had um, an issue with our, our daughter was a big fan of Cameron Boyce from Descendants and Hey Jesse and things for those of you with, with younger children. And she was hit pretty hard when when he died. And it felt strange to us because he, he isn't obviously someone she knows, but she felt like she did because she'd watched him grow up on the TV. And, you know, it's the, the same with celebrities that, that we've watched on the TV. I don't think what I was reading was saying that your brain can't quite differentiate between people you really, really know and people you just think, you know, because you've seen lots of them. So I guess my question was when um, when they're having what we feel is maybe a disproportionate response to a bereavement, because they're thinking maybe, you know, you didn't really know them that well, that we still need to acknowledge that that's how they're feeling and not not give in to the temptation of saying, really? Because you only met them twice. <laughs> Which is kind of yeah. what, what her brothers said. said yeah. <laughs> That's such a fantastic perspective. I've actually never had anybody 
um, kind of bring that subject up, but I'm glad you did um, because she felt a connection. However that connection was made, that's not up to us to judge or, or diminish, right? So now that that void is there, she feels the loss and she feels the pain. And granted, it's not somebody who she was close to in her everyday life, but for her, it was a very real loss. And so not to be too corny, but um, back when Michael Jackson died, I went through the same exact thing. And I, I could not explain or express like why I was mourning and why I felt I was grieving. You, you watch these people and you follow their journey and you become a part of their community. And that's what she was. She was a part of their community. So for her, um, it's very real. And I think one of the worst things we can do is, again, diminish those feelings and make her feel like nonsense. Like, how could you absolutely feel such loss or such pain when you didn't know the person when to her, it was very real. And by, by having uh, reactions like that, what we're doing is we're telling our child, it's not okay for you to feel this way. And that is going to prevent her from willingness to, to open up in the future about other things. So it's really, really boils down to communication and giving your child a space of non-judgment. This is a safe place. You can share your feelings and you can share your concerns. You're not going to be judged. Whether I agree with them or not is irrelevant, but I want you to know that you can open up and talk to me at any time. And that's really what they're looking for is just that space to, to vocalize how they're feeling. Yeah, because I think, sorry, it brings on my, my next question, which was if you feel like your child is bottling something up, because you can tell, you know when they're acting differently, but they're not coming out and talking to you, what would be your advice for getting them to open up? Should they maybe speak to somebody different? Should they, are there questions you could ask? Absolutely. And the one really key question is, are you receiving support from somebody? Because our children, they love to talk to their friends. <laughs> they love to tell their friends everything. And mom and dad are generally the last to know, um, even if you have a great relationship with them. So children will seek uh, solace in friends, in teachers, counselors, coaches, other people. And it's really okay that it's not mom and dad. And that's what we need to realize. The most important thing is that they are opening up, that somebody is hearing them. And, and our job is to just ask them, are you receiving support? And if the answer is yes, be okay with that. Just be okay with that. But if you feel like, yeah, it's exaggerated, they're lying to you, then it becomes a deeper conversation of saying, look, you know, we need to sit down and have a conversation because if you're not comfortable sharing this with me and that's okay, it's okay if you're not, but it's our job as parents to make sure that there is a direct and open line of communication, whether it be a therapist, whether it be a friend, whether it be, you know, somebody else. Yeah, it's getting over that pathological need, I think, as a parent to be the one who fixes it. Mm. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you talked about the role of teachers just there. Um, yeah. And again, I'm going to preface everything about every child is different. But following a bereavement, how long, if you, if it's a normal school term, how long would you expect a child to need to spend at home before they go back to normality, if that's the right word? 
gosh, yeah, I just think that everybody is so different. And it really depends on the level of loss and the level of pain that they're feeling. Um, I thought it was a little ridiculous, whether it be school or a corporate environment where they give you one week bereavement, and that's it. After a week, you come back to work and school, like everything's peachy keen and changed. And uh, it's not the case. So sometimes we just have to really look at our children and have our antennas up and say, look at this is the time, this is the right time, or, you know, we really know where they're at and where their needs are. But sometimes gently pushing them back into society and back towards their friends um, will give them a little bit of normalcy. And sometimes we need to feel that normalcy. Um, gosh, don't we? Now's the time I'm speaking. I'm preaching to the choir right now, aren't I? <laughs> Normalcy would be nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think we've forgotten what it feels like. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'd imagine if, if there's an open line of communication, um, you, you can speak to your child and find out if they're ready to go back. And they would probably be quite honest if they think they couldn't handle it, then you give them more time. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, if, so if you've got to the point where, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking specifically of parents of teenagers, we do get to those points sometimes where the relationship isn't as great as it could be at that point. We've had a clash over something and it's just not quite the same as it was. It's not as easy to just open up and have a conversation and things. And we can sometimes feel like they're withdrawing. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to figure out the best way to then to know whether they're, if, if your child spends most of their time shutting their room because they're sulking with you, how can you tell the difference when they something then happens? How can you see that actually it's because they're in pain and then start to make a difference? Is that coming back to those other relationships that they fall back on then? Yeah, so teenagers in, in particular, they need and they want their privacy, right? So whether it's because their hormones are raging or they're just at a point where mom and dad, you don't know anything and I know everything. Um, it's really still just kind of having those, those antennas up and getting them out of that isolation. And there's, there's creative ways such as arts, music, sports, different things where maybe they're not ready to talk to you. Maybe they don't have anybody else to talk to, especially now where we're not in school. Many people aren't working. Um, it's really important to just kind of really stay alert and be attentive and then, you know, have, have something ready to introduce, whether it be, you know, let's just go for a hike, let's go for a walk and get out. And once you're out in nature and you're, you know, social distancing, of course, but, um, you know, your dopamine starts to kind of release and you feel that happiness. And when they're out of that environment and feeling different things and getting fresh air, something may trigger them and they may be willing to, to open up and realize, hey, you know, I've been isolating myself and it's, it's, I'm ready to talk. And I guess um, you're talking about dopamine and, and my brain went, oh yeah, I'm sure we've had those where you've, you're in the middle of something and you are, you're grieving for whatever it is, whether it's a loss or, or whatever it is. And something happens, you know, something incongruous happens and it just makes you laugh and you feel <laughs> so guilty for enjoying yourself while you're supposed to be grieving 
And is there a good approach for helping them get past that point so they can start to have those those happy moments again without feeling, hang on a minute, I'm not I'm not allowed to be happy right now. I'm supposed to be sad. Yes, that's that's very appropriate, and uh, I chuckle because I've I've been there myself. Um, I was actually eight months pregnant with my daughter when I lost my mother. And I was like, well, this is a very bittersweet time, right? But at, at that time that I was grieving and I was going through the bereavement process, now we're my children. Now we're, you know, my brothers. And it's like, oh, here we go again. But there was also a lot of happy things happening in life at that time. My baby was coming. My brother had just gotten married. And it's like, man, are we allowed to feel happy? Are we allowed to feel these feelings? And again, that still boils down to the communication and letting your child and your children know life is so full of emotion and ups and downs and um, just so many different circumstances that although you feel that loss and you are grieving and you're still mourning your loss, there are going to be elements in your life that provide you with a chance to laugh and, and be happy. And it's okay because that doesn't mean that you're forgetting the person, the loss. It doesn't mean that you're moving on but you are absolutely allowed to still be happy. And that's a great point because we want to stay stuck, right? We want to stay in that loss so people understand I'm mad, I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm not ready to move on. And we truly feel, and especially our children, you know, we feel that the moment we give ourselves permission to live again and to laugh again, that means we've forgotten our loss and we're ready to move on from that person and it's so far from the truth. And I think they just need to understand doesn't mean you're forgetting the person, the loss, the situation, but your life goes on and now you take, you take them with you just in a different facet. Do you think that the, um, the fact that we've not been able to, to deal with the loss in the same way that we normally would have done because of social distancing and things, I'm thinking specifically in terms of funerals, We've not been able to go and do the usual routines, the the ways that we normally process the grief and the ways that we normally go and, and say goodbye. What kind of impact do you think that's going to have as a, a knock-on effect for people Gosh. that are mourning during this oh, time? That strikes a nerve with me <laughs> because I have friends who have lost dear, dear family members. And when you're allowed five people at a funeral, don't, you know, oh, this is atrocious. You know, we have people dying in hospitals that we're not allowed to be admitted into because of social distancing. And you're literally losing the opportunity to say goodbye. And I think that is going to, there's anger. There's absolutely anger that comes along with that. And you feel like you've been robbed your chance to have closure. But there's also ways for us to realize that we can celebrate the joy of life. We can have a celebration of life versus mourning and celebrating the end of life. So people have different feelings of funerals and ways to say goodbye. And I don't want that. I want a, a celebration party. We don't have to celebrate and, and fixate on the loss. And it's just kind of a perspective shift and say, look, you know what, if you're a spiritual person, if you're a Christian, if you're, you know, all of the different religions, we all have our own beliefs. 
So stick to your beliefs and, and, and instill those in your children. Look, this is what happens. So-and-so is an angel. They're in heaven. They're with you. Their spirit's with you. And really put the emphasis on the good memories and the celebration of life versus the lack and what you're missing. Because we'll fixate on that until the cows come home. Yes. So with the current situation, and therefore you can't process loss in the normal way, has there been a, a more use of bereavement counsellors? Uh, and another question, if you if you have suffered a loss, at what stage do you actually think, uh, you know, my child is not dealing with this, I probably need to seek the help, help of a bereavement counsellor? Yeah, good question. So therapists, virtual meetings, um, they've gone up drastically. And, and I can tell you over here in the States, um, just our little city alone, just the suicide hotlines have gone up to over 800%. Los Angeles has spiked to over 8,000%. Um, so it's atrocious. So there's a big need right now to, to be that listener, not the voice, but just reach out to people and say, are you okay? And have that open communication. Obviously, um, resources are limited. And so if someone isn't willing to seek therapy, because there's still very much a stigma around that, if I'm seeing a therapist, that means something's wrong with me, and I don't want to be judged. And, and that's, you know, it's just a conversation. So a friend, a parent, we can have the same conversations. And then when we recognize, hey, our child is still very angry. And you can sense that anger. Um, it's okay to be angry. That is part of the grieving process. You know, you're going to be shocked. You're going to be in denial. You're going to be angry. And we might move out of that anger stage slower over some others. Some might get through the anger stage a little bit quicker. But I think that really depends on the resources that you have around you. Um, I mentioned NLP earlier, and we have a modality called the grief process. And it's, it's, we could do this with children as early as eight to 10, as long as they're able to go along with the exercise. And what that does is it's not so much therapy, but it is as realizing all the positive emotions and all the good, happy feelings that came along with the person who you're saying, see you later to. And, and it's now looked at and felt as a more positive feeling versus again, the lack and the loss and we as humans tend to gravitate more towards what we're missing versus what we have felt and the gifts that we have had with our time with this person. Um, so if you feel that they're just really stuck in that anger for, for too long, and as a parent, you know, you would really have to judge what that looks like. Um, then it's time to really kind of maybe seek uh, even a crisis counselor can give you some ideas with this is this is what you can do moving forward or a therapist or a coach. Um, coaching is a little different than therapy. And that's why I took that route because a lot of therapists will have you talking about the trauma and the pain and the problems. So you're revisiting that over and over where coaching offers solutions and healthy action steps that you can do moving forward to implement the positive steps versus reliving the trauma over and over. I can only imagine the, the trauma that people must be dealing with if they're working in hospitals and things at the moment, because 
just even if you're even a little bit empathetic and you're absorbing other people's feelings i can't can't even get my head around that i would hope that there'll be some support put in place for people absolutely yeah um now we're we're probably gonna ask you for final kind of wind up questions but if there's anyone who's watching who's got any questions do feel free to pop them in the comments and things obviously if you're listening to this on the podcast that doesn't work but if you're on the live stream it does um and then we'll uh, see what we can get to but in the meantime while we while we wait is there anything else kim that we should that we ought to know as parents to look out for because along with all this discussion of of bereavement and the the feelings that our teenagers might be having around the situations that they find themselves in we we have to look at the impact on their mental health as well so i think it's a useful thing to bring in here to talk about you know watching out for for potential signs that they might be starting to have more serious more dramatic thoughts about things like suicide is there anything that we should we should know about that as parents well teenagers in general I mean they they're definitely you know we just have to acknowledge their fear and and if there's guilt right we have to look at this before jumping into into conclusions and that really starts with just having that conversation of you know are you okay and one really big thing when it comes to suicide in particular is asking use that word because if you use the word suicide are you thinking about suicide are you considering suicide that really rings an alert bell they may feel like whoa no you know no that that suicide word makes it very permanent and um, just by saying that you know you are bringing that to light and suicide that that's a permanent you know i don't want to say solution because it's not a solution but it's it's a permanent answer to a temporary problem and we are absolutely more than the challenges that we face and our seasons are temporary and what we're going through right now that's not our final destination and children they really need to understand and that comes through us as parents and as coaches and teachers that look we can appreciate where you're coming from but this will pass and sometimes they just don't want to hear what you have to say because it's like you know whatever i'm feeling my pain now and that's all i care about now and so the more you give them that space to communicate and to open the less likely the less likely there will be to have other ramifications so really allow yourself to be that sounding board um, ask the difficult questions don't stop don't skirt away from those you know if you really are concerned you need to ask bluntly are you considering suicide should i be concerned about you and and don't be shying away from that and if you're not the person that they're ready to talk to help them find that person that's the best you can do thank you yeah that's um i think i've been a very very important and timely topic to talk about um hopefully this will all be coming to an end soon and the numbers will be going down and we won't be having to uh, to have as many of these conversations but um in the event that we have to i think i certainly feel a little more prepared for how i would how i would approach that now so 
massive thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you both so much. And um, yeah, it's uh, if anybody comes up with any questions, if there's anything that you'd like to know, then just uh, pop on and, and let us know. You, I think, all know where you can get a hold of us. We're on Facebook as Parent Guide to GCSE or Parent Guide to Post 16. Um, if we can't answer your question, we will find someone that can. Um, don't try and deal with this stuff alone if you're worried. I think it's, uh, it's the final message there. So yeah. thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. And um, have a good evening. Indeed. Well, it's lunchtime, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks.